So here we are, 24 hours in. So far, so good. <laughs> At least so far, survivable. The theme of this retreat is awakening in the body. So what do we mean, awakening in the body? What are we practicing? How does this work? First of all, the word awakening is a word that describes or points to, more accurately, something that is essentially indescribable. So it's pointing to a kind of mystery, a kind of relationship that is not of the conceptual realm. It is something that can only be known by your actual experience of it. This is uh, one of the ways that Nagarjuna described it. Were mind and matter me, I would come and go like them. If I were something else, they would say nothing about me. What is mine when there is no me? Were self-centeredness eased, I would not think of me and mine. There would be no one there to think of them. When things dissolve, there's nothing left to say. The unborn and unceasing are already free. Buddha said, it is real and it is unreal. And it's both real and unreal. And it's neither one nor the other. What is, in, what is inside is me, what is outside is mine. When these thoughts end, compulsion stops, repetition ceases, freedom dawns. So awakening, this indescribable new relationship with everything and all things. But awakening in the body, why awakening in the body? We use this phrase in a double sense of the word. First of all, we do mean awaken in the body, awaken to the fact that you are in a body, that there is embodied consciousness, that there can be a felt sense, a direct experience of this embodied consciousness. And then secondly, we say that awakening in the body is a means of awakening, that the body is a wonderful instrument. And as you will hear a little later, so the Buddha said, that the, that the body is a great instrument, a great means, a great vehicle, that is mindfulness of the body for awakening. So the Buddha taught that we can awaken through mindfulness of the body. But what often gets skipped over is the first part. That is that there is a moment to awaken in the body so that you can awaken through the body. Make some sense? To awaken in the body so that you can awaken through the body. Very tricky, very difficult, very uneasy 
to use uh, the body as a tool for awakening if you're not really in it. If you're up in the old coconut, looking down on the body or labeling the body or having this kind of view of the body that's conceptual, that's, that's not really present for what's actually there. So we awaken in the body. Simple in one sense, and yet uh, surprisingly difficult to do. Uh, the great Zen teacher uh, that was here in San Francisco, Suzuki Roshi, in his book Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, said this wonderful phrase, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In the expert's mind, there are few. We suffer from the fact that, uh, claimed or not, we all view ourselves as experts on our bodies. So it's very difficult to have beginner's mind in relation to the body. And yet it is that beginner's mind that most allows us to move into an actual felt sense of the body. So I want to uh, do an exercise with you tonight, a kind of a visual exercise, a visualization, and it's going to require a certain imagination. And it'll go for you however it goes, as it will for everyone else in the room. So we're just going to experiment with this to see if we can arrive at a kind of temporary taste of beginner's mind. So close your eyes, if you will, for a moment. And, and I'm going to ask you to keep them closed until I request that you open them. So first of all, find a breath. And it's perfectly fine in this instance to breathe heavy or fast. Something that will allow you to really be there with the breath for a moment. So there you are with the breath. Now, notice for yourself that you're aware of the breath. Acknowledge that to yourself. Yes, I know this breath, this very breath. I feel this very breath. Now do an additional realization that you are aware that you know this breath. So there is awareness. There's this awareness that knows you know the breath. See if you can find that. Keep breathing, but the breath starts to go into the background. And now you're directing attention towards awareness. So there's this breath, and there's this awareness of the breath, of knowing the breath. So let me say that more clearly. There's the breath, there's the knowing the breath, and there's the awareness that you know the breath. Now that awareness is quite different than the actual feeling of the breath. It's quite different. It's not the same as the content, the knowing the breath. It's just awareness that happens at this moment to know the breath. See if you can feel that a bit. 
this is where we enter into a kind of temporary altered space. Become that awareness. Let everything else go, just for a moment, in your imagination. Just awareness. And now, imagine that that awareness, for the first time ever, suddenly discovers itself in your body, keeping your eyes closed. So suddenly this awareness that before didn't know itself in this way at all, suddenly discovers it's in a body. There's this wonderment, what is this? it starts to realize, oh, well, I'm in some sort of space-time. That's some sort of material universe. So now I'm awareness in a material universe. Hmm, what's that? And then you start to feel this body, realize that there's an environment it's in, and the awareness realizes, oh, well, it's sort of like a bio-space suit. It's a way that I can interface with this material world, with this environment. It's sort of like the hardware and the software combined that allows me to actually feel things in an embodied way. Very different for awareness. Wow, I can actually have a feeling of touch. I can actually have a felt sense of taste, of smell of hearing even. Hearing has a kind of physicality when you're in a body. And wow, this mind, when it thinks something, it's reflected in the body. Well, that's different. And there you are, born in this moment. Right away you notice that some things in this bio-suit, some things that happen to it are pleasant, and some are unpleasant, and some aren't particularly pleasant or unpleasant. And you immediately notice, well, I like the pleasant, and I don't like the unpleasant. That It's uncomfortable in this bio-suit when something unpleasant happens. And it feels quite good when something pleasant happens in this bio-suit. So, when awareness is in the body, this really seems to matter. Hmm. And then you start to explore, and you realize, oh, I can somewhat control. I can control something in terms of it being pleasant. That is, I can direct the body or direct the mind towards something pleasant and direct it away from unpleasant. And then you discover that the body itself has mobility and that you can direct the body to have certain experiences. Wow. So amazing versus this awareness that was just an open field. Now it has unique experience. Now it has preferences. So amazing that by just having an intention, you can get your hand to move 
Just move the hand with your eyes closed. Just move it a little bit and stop. And then intend some other part of the hand to move, maybe just the thumb now. And stop. And now intend the little finger. And the little finger just moves. How amazing. How amazing. So here you are. You have access to whatever this person was that was in this biosuit. You have access to all these memories. You know this, this, all these plans that, that were going on. And you can actually feel the effect in the body of all these things about the past and about the future, neither of which are present but when you think about them, when you direct attention to them, they are mirrored in some way in the body. How amazing. How amazing. At first, everything seems great. So special to get to actually feel experience. But then you start to notice some things. You notice that the, the body is quite vulnerable. And it doesn't always do what you want it to do. It's got a kind of independence. Or that it's, its experience is based on causes and conditions. So that's a little unsettling. You look around to see if there's something you can do about that. Not so much. And then you start to notice that, it, that this biosuit takes a lot of maintenance that you have to pay a lot of attention just to keep it going that's not so great and then you notice three things that are particularly disturbing you notice that it can easily get injured or ill and that's really unsettling and then you notice that as it goes through time, it starts to get a little uh, creaky, a little less functional, that all of that input is not so clear anymore. And that's not so pleasant. That's a little disappointing and makes it seem a little less uh, in enchanting. And then, as happened with the Buddha, you realize, oh, this biosuit is made up of organic material and it expires. And that's really unsettling. So you've had the same three heavenly messengers that started the Buddha on his journey. That everything in this world has this kind of, of a vulnerability to it, that, uh, that all that you care about gets sick or goes away or that there's a kind of uh, uh, loss of functionality in time and then everything finally expires. So now your interest in being in a body is quite different. So you, now you go, well, what is this thing being in a body? But now you realize, oh, wow, I know I just got here, but I've already identified with this biosuit. 
It's me and mine. Wow, where did that come from? And even more, that you're identified with this ability to direct it. You've come to imagine an I that directs all of this. And you're sure it's you. You direct the body and it moves, so it must be a you, even if the body's not you. But that doesn't seem quite right either because that's always changing, just like in the poem that Nagarjuna was saying. It's always changing. So you investigate some more. And you come to the very point that the Buddha came to. If it's all decaying, if it all ultimately goes away, what is our point? What is the meaning of being awareness in this biosuit? Why is it? Why bother? What's its value? Why did this happen? Why is it happening to all of these different biosuits? And then there comes this question, well, okay, here I am. How do I find meaning? How do I find peace? How do I find well-being in this realm? The Buddha asked himself this very question. And then he went further and he asked himself, well, if this is all temporary, what is lasting? What is my true nature? What is my true home? As Deborah said last night, what is my true nature? What is my true home? And so you come to this conclusion that, okay, all things in this body and this ego complex of I, they're constantly changing. You go, yes, I can accept that. I can see that for myself. And I can accept that. And then you start to say, well, why would I identify with this when it's always changing? Because that's going to make me uneasy. It's stressful. It's unreliable. It brings a kind of dukkha, a kind of unease to my entire experience. And yet you are still embodied in this moment. And then you start to realize that, oh yes, I came in as awareness. And that awareness existed before this identification with this body or with this I. There was just this awareness. And so you begin your journey and now slowly open your eyes. And seeing, how amazing that you're seeing something that no one else is seeing. You are having an experience of seeing because of this embodied awareness that's now manifest to seeing. And no one else is having it. It's unique. And yet, it's never the same thing. You're always seeing something new every moment. It's different. Every moment, it's refreshed, changed. Wow. So then, what's the meaning of this? 
how do I utilize this gift, this wonderful, wonderful, precious thing of embodied consciousness? What do I do with this? So the Buddha told us how to proceed. He said that we can learn to direct our attention in such a way that we can train our awareness so that our awareness falls into areas that give us clarity, that give us peace, that give us wisdom. And that as in time, we gain more and more insight, both of a personal nature, of our personal stories, and insights about the universal nature of life and insights about our true life, our true nature, our true nature. And he describes this most completely in one sutta that's called the Satipatthana Sutta. It's the Four Foundations of Mindfulness Sutta. And in this sutta, he directs us. A sutta is like a teaching, a discourse. He directs us as to where to place attention so that we will become mindful of certain things that are skillful in terms of gaining this insight. And these foundations or pastures or uh, broad areas of awareness are, first of all, the body. So he begins this whole evolving path of awareness by just the exercise we did of showing up in the body, of having awareness in the body, not from the view of the particular content, oh, my knee is hurting, and oh, it's hurting because, you know, I strained it, I sat too long, but rather, oh, a knee hurting feels like this. There's, there's tension, there's fire, there's squeezing, there's pressure, there's pulsation, there's these waves of sensation passing through. To, to be in what is referred to as the experience within the experience. So knowing the experience within the experience. So he starts the, these four foundations with the foundation of knowing the body, knowing the body within the body. And then he goes to a second foundation, knowing this arising of pleasant and unpleasant, and neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And he has us use the body to notice this, to see how this is true. And then the third foundation is noticing our mind state, noticing what's going on in the mind. What is the state of the mind right now? And what's a great way to do that? By being aware of how that mind state is manifesting in the body. So if the mind's filled with anger, sometimes it's not so easy to know that we're angry. But we can notice, oh, there's this heat in my belly. Well, there's this little tremor in my heart. Oh, my jaw is set. Oh, I know what this means. This means I'm angry. And so we learn this, the, the, the skillful and unskillful states of mind through awareness of the body. And likewise in the fourth foundation, in which he goes through a series of teachings about the, the nature of all reality, we can see each of these universal characteristics through awareness of the body.
in the body, he has a series of different exercises that we do. So we're awareness of the breath, just as we started with today. We're aware of postures, the sitting, standing, lying down and walking, as we did in the walking meditation, as Julie did in the standing this morning. We're aware of body activities. So in doing our yogi jobs of chopping vegetables or in our rooms at night, brushing our teeth. Oh, so brushing the teeth feels like this. Chopping carrots feels like this. This direct awareness of what the body is experiencing. And then of awareness of body parts. And then awareness of the elementary nature, a word that Julie is quite fond of, and which you will hear many times on this retreat. The awareness of the elementary nature of all physical experience. By elementary nature, he is referring to the fire element, whether something is warm or cool, hot or cold. The earth element, whether something is hard and solid or whether it's, it's, it's soft and lighter. The air element, whether there is a sense of pressure and vibration, like with the breath, where there's this sense of this little vibration of the breath wherever we feel it, and there's a kind of pressure that's associated with the breath. And then the water element, which in some ways uh, can only be known when there's the awareness of the other elements, this sense of flow, but also a form of connectedness. So think of ice. Ice is, can be in a flowing form or it can be solid. So you can notice the form and notice the connectedness through the water element. And so as we notice our experience through these four elements, we come to see all of these insights, both personal and these impersonal, universal insights. In theory, any single element any, uh, any single object of awareness can take us all the way through the Satipatthana Sutta so that we can be aware through the breath and come all the way to the very end of this teachings, which is the teachings of the Four Noble Truths. See the Four Noble Truths in the body. So it's quite powerful, this, this awareness of the body. The Satipatthana way of finding the truth is referred to as the direct experience. It is Yonisio Manasakara. It's wise attention through mindfulness. So learning to direct attention. Remember when we were doing the exercise, when you came into this awareness of your biosuit, one of the things that you discovered was that you could pay attention to your hands and then intend for your finger to move and it moved. This has huge implications in terms of your well-being. Huge implications. The very same process that you use in ordinary life to drive your car, to eat your food, you can use that very same process to direct your mind into a state of well-being, to discover the true nature of things and to liberate your mind from the attachments that cause it to suffer. So with our mindfulness practice, 
That's what we're learning to do. We learn wise attention. And in doing this, we are on the path to our liberation. So, this felt sense has a very distinct flavor to it. Use your seeing capacity, raise your right hand, and look at the back side of the right hand. Cognize it. What do you notice? So you may notice the color of the skin. You may notice if there's veins. You may notice if there's wrinkles if you're of a certain age. You, you may see the size and the shape of the hand. And now turn over and look at the palm. And you say, oh, the palm maybe is a slightly different color. Oh, there's maybe lines in the palm. Again, there's a sense of shape and so forth. So there's this, this knowing of the hand through cognizing. But now, close your eyes and actually move the hand in space. Move the fingers a little. Feel what handness does. This movement is handness. And stop. And now just leave the hand there and feel the sensations in the hand. So you may feel it in the palm and the fingers and the back of the hand. Notice the sensations. Name them right now. Maybe there's pulsation. Is it warm? Is it cool? Is it heavy or light? That is the felt sense of hand. And now open your eyes and let the hand go. When we function in ordinary life, we direct attention in that cognizing way of, oh, here's this hand and I can open the door or something. We see the hand and in relation to our movement in the world in a conceptual way. That's quite different than this felt sense of a hand is like this. It doesn't mean that you would abandon the directing, but your world becomes richer far more interesting and mysterious if when you open that door you feel handness opening a door. So different than just getting somewhere. You're present for the mystery of your own existence as embodied consciousness. The sensory input is so much greater the, the sense of presence, of awakeness, of being here now, because you have this felt sense of hand. So we learn to direct attention into the felt sense of the body. When we're directing attention, we're directing it in a manner that is relaxed. We are resting attention in the experience. So once again, Take your left hand, put it in front of your uh, chest somewhere, and take your right forearm and rest it in the left hand. 
Now, three different experiences. Let's suppose that you don't trust the, the hand, the left hand to uh, uh, throw you, push you away. So press down with your forearm. Not so pleasant, huh? So if you press down, because you can't, you, it's, you're going you're, you, you to you're gonna float away if you don't press down. Now, let's let that go for a moment. Now let's suppose that you're afraid the left hand's going to swallow the, the right forearm. So leave the, the right forearm in the hand, but hover above a little bit. So you're not, you're there, but you're not letting the left hand support you. You're doing all the work. Imagine if you were like this for an hour. And now, let that go and just rest. Feel the difference. You're just resting. You're neither pushing down nor hovering. You're just resting. And let that go. Relaxed attention is like that. Through relaxed attention, we get to experience the breath. If we're grabbing hold of the breath, if we're pressing into the breath or hovering our awareness away, much harder to actually feel it because we're imposing something. And as we become aware of other things in the body, our feet, our hands, it's the same way. If the attention is pressing, it's very difficult to actually let the experience reveal itself. So we relax. We create a kind of spaciousness to our awareness. There's room. There's non-doing. And yet the awareness is there. This is the way we direct our attention, this kind of relaxed attention into the experience. In practicing, for those of you who are new to this, one of the things that we do in doing Vipassana is we direct attention, just as we've kind of gone through in this. But then we do something else. We sustain attention because we choose to. We don't always do that. There's a part of practice that's called choiceless awareness where uh, the, the, the attention is sustained just moment to moment. It's really fast. But at a lot of times in our practice when we're investigating a particular experience, we sustain attention on that experience. So there you are. You're doing the walking meditation. You feel the foot rise and swing through space and place down. And you get interested in a relaxed attention way. So you start to notice, oh, there's this shifting of the bones. Oh, my hip does this certain thing when the foot starts to lift. Oh, when I'm moving through space, there's really a moment there when I'm really kind of falling. Well, that's interesting. You're trusting the experience. You're relaxed into it. You know you know how to walk. So you're not like nervous about it. You're just, you're just comfortable with it. And lo and behold, you learn to do that same thing with a, a kind of uh, body experience that may be a bit uh, challenging. You learn to just stay with that challenging experience in this spacious way. You learn to let the, uh, the, the, the sense of its pleasant or unpleasantness reveal itself just out of curiosity. And so you, there is this, an investigation that starts to occur. Why does this investigation, why does mindfulness start to see things? Because it is the inherent nature 
of awareness to be curious. When we're not in the way, awareness will notice. It'll notice. It's curious. One of the big manners in which we get in the way of ourselves in meditation is that because we're uneasy with the experience, we don't fully receive it. So if it's a back pain, we kind of push it away a little bit. Or if it's a, if it's a great fantasy, we cling to it. <laughs> and we, we don't just, oh no, this is, this is just fantasy. This is just back pain. And then we investigate it. In order to fully receive experience with your mindfulness, with your awareness, it requires a certain kind of compassion, a certain uh, loving kindness, of what we call metta attitude towards ourselves in the experience. That uh, compassion and that well-being feeling, wishing well-being, allows for this relaxed attention to be present. Because we're trusting ourselves, we know we mean well for ourselves, we know we want the best for ourselves in a way that's, that's wholesome, that's, that's okay. And that allows us, oh yes, I can really be with the stabbing sensation in the back, that sore neck, this fatigue, this, this uh, endless, endless sense of the, that time's not moving and the bell's never ringing. We, oh wow. We can be with it. We can have this relaxed attention with it. And this is sort of the final uh, aspect of this Vipassana practice. We don't get particularly interested in the content as story. So there you are, and you're, you're, you've got that stabbing pain in your back. And it's a body sensation. And you know it is a body sensation. And then the mind starts going, you know, I wonder if this came from when I was doing that, when I was putting the dishes up last week, or when I carried that load of boxes out into the garage. We start to make a story, or, you know, this has been like this always. I should, maybe this is really something serious. Maybe I better go to the doctor here. Maybe I've really done something to my back. Or, my gosh, this is going to get much worse. Oh, I'm not sure I should be doing this retreat. And Should I move now? That's all content. It's all story. It's what we call papancha mind, this reactivity to what was just a felt sense in the body. By staying with the felt sense and knowing that we're staying with the felt sense, having awareness that we know we're staying with the felt sense, there's the space to have this relaxed attention and just be with it. And lo and behold, we discover this many, many uh, multidimensional experience that we were just calling a stabbing in the back. And we discover that we can have all of these different relationships to it and not be controlled by it, not be controlled by its pleasant or unpleasantness. So we can be having a bad experience and not get in a bad mood. That the mind can be liberated in the midst of a bad experience, at least for a few minutes, till finally we lose it. And as we see this time and time and time and time and time again, we start to develop a, a kind of habit of directing the mind to this state where it's okay, just how it is. And lo and behold, we then start to be okay more and more in our lives. We start to have a well-being that's there all the time. And with this mindfulness, much more experience so that when someone touches us on the cheek, 
we really feel that touch on the cheek. And so it feels good in a very different way because it's, it's there as, a, as an awakened experience. Wow, being, you know, being touched in the cheek by someone we care about, being stroked feels like this. Or that, that, that meal that we usually don't taste more than the first bite of, we're able to stay present for the taste of the meal in a whole new way. Or suddenly we're taking a hot shower and we feel that, that, that pulsating water hitting our backs and how, how it releases the tension. And it's like we never had that experience before in our lives. We're in beginner's mind. We're in beginner's mind because we could stay in the felt experience. We could stay in embodied consciousness, embodied awareness. We, had tra- we have trained our minds to that point. Will it be 100%? For most of us, not likely. But it can be 100% improvement for you in a relatively short period of time where you have many, many more moments that you've doubled your moments of, of, of this kind of felt sense. And the, in the felt sense with this ease, I keep stressing, the spaciousness, this relaxed attention, the sense of well-being to yourself, this ability to sustain your attention on an experience but not getting lost in it. So you're there under that hot shower and it feels so good and you're really enjoying it and you start to relax your body. Or nearly you might go, oh, now you start planning something. But no, you stay with it. Or you're, you're seeing a sunset and it's just beautiful. Or you're looking at the hills out here as you're walking. You, and it feels so good to just be here at Spirit Rock. And instead of going, oh, you know, I need to, I need to come back here more often. When can I come to another retreat? And therefore you've lost this wonderful feeling you're having because now you've gone into thinking about content. No, what you stay with, this is beautiful. And that well-being stays present as your predominant experience for some period of time. In that moment, you have a taste of liberation. The liberated mind, it is said, only knows what are called the Brahma-viharas, loving kindness, sympathetic joy, compassion, and equanimity. That's the mind states that a liberated mind experiences. We each get little taste of that. Embodied awareness will lead you to a greater sense of that. I say that as a suggestion to you. We don't tell you what your experience is. We point to experience and how to know experience in order for you to know it for yourself because this is the way the Buddha taught and has been taught ever since. You're not supposed to believe something. You're not supposed to be attached to any views. You're not even supposed to be attached to some version of the Dharma, but to rather be committed to knowing for yourself and knowing that you know and having this awareness that you know. So being fully present. So. Why would the Buddha start with the body? Because it's immediate, it's sustainable, it's always here, and therefore you can keep your attention on it, and because it reflects whatever else is going on in the mind. 
It's always everything showing up in the body in some way. It can take quite a while to know that and to find it in a particular thing, but it's always there. And it lends itself to what's referred to as bare attention, where we don't get lost in content. We just know, oh yes, this is thinking, this, this is pleasant, this is change. We're just able to stay with the, 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 the experience that's immediate. And it's got a kind of um, impersonalness when we're with it in this way. It's, it's got a, it's, it's like an honest witness for us. We can see, oh yeah. So with our minds, sometimes we can go, oh, you know, that, I, I, I'm, I'm so happy for this person, you know, because we want to be that person that's happy for that person. But if we're paying attention to, the, to that moment of, of happiness in the body, oh, there's this little acid in our stomach. There's this little kind of uh, tightness around the lips. Oh, this happiness has also got some envy in it. Ah, so envy's like this. It's an honest witness. And it's an honest witness without any judgment. It's just envy. Causes of conditions are such in the mind that now there's some envy. Oh, just come back and be in the body. Staying in the body, that envy will tend to go on its own way in its own time. So in this retreat, we will be asking you to constantly refer back into the body experience. And so I would like to do that right now. Don't change your posture. Don't change anything. I'm going to ask you to notice certain things in your body. Start with your hands. What do you notice about your hands? Now notice, are they warm or cool? Do they feel heavy or light? Are they still, or is there a little vibration? It can all be known if we look. Now shift your attention to, the, to your lower back. How do you know this experience of lower back? Is it hard, soft? Is it warm or cool? Is there tension in your lower back? Can you be with it however it is, or do you immediately want to change? I see various people changing their posture a little bit. Nothing wrong with that, but first stay with. Now, switch to these eyes. Feel the pressure in the eyes. Is it strong or weak? Is it a pulsation or a stillness? Is that pressure like a wave of pressure? All of these different parts of the body have all of these experiences. So rich. It's a symphony, the most incredible symphony. Every sense door offers this. And let that go. So, 
as we learn to do vipassana, it helps a lot to have energy. So we learn to cultivate our energy so that we can apply the right amount of energy that's appropriate for where we are right now. If you come in here and you're really tired, you can't be too energetic because you don't have the strength for it. It's just going to get you all restless. So balancing the right amount of energy, applying the energy that you have in a balanced way. It also really helps to collect and unify the mind, as Adrian was directing us to do this morning. We utilize the breath as a, a anchor object because the breath is, has been discovered thousands of years ago to be an excellent object for collecting and unifying the mind. So even if you're only able to be with the breath for two or three breaths in a row, that's a lot. If you do that repeatedly, if you start over when you go off, your mind gradually becomes collected and unified. Once the mind is concentrated, that is collected and unified, then when you turn your attention to other objects like your hands or the soreness in the back or an emotion, you're able to stay with it rather than going off and all your uh, thoughts about it because you've learned how to stay with a particular object to collect and unify the mind around a certain object. And that fits in with this directing and sustaining attention. You can collect the mind on any object. You get to choose where you pay attention. Again, this is really radical. And just like in the bio-suit exercise, when you really have that felt sense, my gosh, this is really true. I, with all of my wandering mind and my judging mind and my lack of self-worth and all of my you know, uh, uneven history, I can direct attention. Hmm, I have choice. I have choice. It's such an inspiration. And you get better and better at doing it. And then there is the mindfulness itself, those five things I described, the direct attention, the sustaining, the fully receiving, the investigating, the not uh, grabbing hold of, making it a story, the impersonal nature of it. And you don't have to write all those down. You'll just discover them. Don't try to remember them. You'll, they'll just come up naturally, and we'll be saying them over and over again. So there's this kind of mindfulness. Oh, yes, I've got a collected mind. It can be mindful, and I've got the energy to be mindful. And my mind is clear enough that I can see, oh, yes, this breath is long and this breath is short. Oh, yes, that there's this pulsation, there's this, that, there, that, there's a, that there's a kind of warmth here and that there's a pulsation and there's a, a kind of lightness to the experience. Oh, now this experience is heavy. We, we're able to see clearly. We're able to access. When we first come on a retreat, you know, we come with our sort of clogged minds from all of our daily activity. So it takes a few days for the mind to get clear. It's that compassion towards ourselves, that loving kindness towards ourselves, this kind of equanimity with the situation as it is that, uh, that is the best way to get through those days. Our minds become more and more clear not in a linear way, but in a zigzaggy, curling back in on itself and back out way. But in our minds, in a, in, in a gradual sense and episodically, over time become more and more clear. This is, again, a learned ability. We learn to have more clear knowing.
The more we practice it, the more we do. We're always just practicing. So if our mind's not very concentrated, no reason to judge it. If our energy's not very good, no reason to judge ourselves. If we don't have much mindfulness, no reason to judge ourselves. If we can't see clearly, no reason to judge ourselves. Why? What does it add? We want to discern, but why judge? It doesn't, it doesn't help anything. But the commitment to start over really helps. The, our intention is the number one thing we're training in every retreat. And when you live the Dharma in daily life, it's your intention that is your primary training. You, you are learning to manifest your intention through attention. So you intend to be a good person. You intend to be truthful. You intend to be kind. You intend to do right action, to, to do right speech, to, to live the Dharma. This intention is the value. It's based on your values. And through practice, through starting over, through this retreat, you will build your power to manifest intention because you're present. So you know you, you're here. You have this felt sense of the body. You're awake. And you go, oh, what's my intention here? I'm sitting here in a meeting and uh, uh, I'm irritated. But what's my real intention? My real intention isn't to uh, uh, be disrespectful of this person just because I'm irritated. Because this person's having a hard time right now. My intention is to get the job done while being kind. And so you act from that, not from that irritation. How did you manage to do that? You were in the body, you felt the irritation, and you had this awareness of intention, and you were through attention able to manifest it. And in that moment, it was a moment of liberation rather than a moment of creating dukkha for yourself and another. It's, it works that way through this little simple practice over and over, starting over, over and over, starting over. Being interested in the embodied experience in this moment. So I would end with uh, a couple of poems from Rumi about this possibility that's always in front of us. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Today, like every other day, we wake up empty and frightened. Don't open the door to the study and begin reading. Take down a musical instrument. Let the beauty we love be what we do. There are hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. There are hundreds hundreds of ways to kneel and kiss the ground. There are hundreds of ways to know your embodiment. If you don't go to distraction, you will know your embodiment. Each moment when you're sitting here, you can know your embodiment. It doesn't matter if you've been off in Mars, if you've been in something when you were 10 years old for the last 20 minutes. The moment that you're present and stay present, you know embodiment. There are a hundred ways to kiss the ground. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. 
don't go back to sleep. The breeze at dawn has secrets to tell you. Don't go back to sleep. You must ask for what you really want. Don't go back to sleep. People are going back and forth across the door sill between two worlds which touch. The door is round and open. Don't go back to sleep. Don't go back to sleep. Our intention is the intention to not go back to sleep. It doesn't matter how many times we go back to sleep that we get lost. As long as we remember our intention is to not go back to sleep. But we choose to be here embodied and know that we are embodied. So close your eyes for a moment. What does the body feel right now? Is your attitude towards this body tender, caring, or not tender or caring? Can you invite a greater kindness to this body in this moment? It's been so loyal to you, worked so hard, Feeling such appreciation for this body. Feeling this appreciation, what has happened to the mind now? And now note the awareness of your knowing this experience. And welcome back to the BioSuit. So thank you for your kind attention. Walk with this kind of awareness that you're in a BioSuit, embodied consciousness, like you never were here before, because that's accurate. This talk was given by Philip Moffat at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on June 2, 2007. It is an offering.